Thank you for joining us on the Waymaker Church podcast today. We hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and makes a way for the new and deeper with Jesus Christ in your life. Enjoy. So, hey, um, we've been in this series. It's a values series. And we're talking about, uh, of course, core beliefs are important, but also how we work out those beliefs um, are the values. And so I want to jump right into 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, the Apostle Paul has just spent a whole chapter before this talking about spiritual giftings and how they work out in the life of believer. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You get it. It's very obnoxious. Yes. What is he saying? He's saying, look, let's have a values conversation. If you, if you know these deep mysteries of God and you're studying the word and the scriptures and, and you can even talk a good game about them, but you could care less about people. You don't love people. You don't tangibly work that out in love for people. Then in essence, that is obnoxious to God. It's obnoxious, just like that clanging symbol. He goes on though, and he, and he keeps talking about it. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all kinds, if I know the deep mysteries of God, and if I have faith that can move mountains, man, I believe. And some of us, man, we believe. But I do not have love, specifically love for people crazy, strange, messed up people. Yeah, those people who may say the same thing about us, let's be honest. If I do not have love, I am nothing. Man, that's strong language. Remember, this is a values conversation. He's saying, of course, faith is important. Uh, of course, trying to seek and understand the deep mysteries of God and even recount them and talk them out is important. Of course, the exercising of spiritual gifts is important, but not as important as love. And then he brings this home. Look what he says. He says, if I give all, my, all I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardships that, that, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Wow, I gain nothing. I am nothing. I have nothing, he says. What is faith? And the outworking of spiritual things and spiritual experiences and even experiences like this, the songs that we sing and the sermons that we hear and the, and the Bible studies that we go to, if we don't love people, we don't love people. Here's what we're gonna to see today. And, and, and I want you to, to write this down. Our faith is pointless if we don't love people like Jesus. Man, you think that's a little strong, isn't it? First Corinthians chapter 13, verse one through three. And that's just the middle of the New Testament. I mean, it is over and over. What does Jesus say? A, a, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. 
The greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is equal, not below, but equal. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love people. We have to love people. Our faith is pointless if we do not love people like Jesus. And so today we unveil our second of seven values. Last week was transformation is our expectation. And this week is people are the point. People are the point. I want you to look to the person beside you and say, people are the point. Tell them that, tell them that. People are, look, look behind you, tell that person too. You say, well, wait a minute. Hey, you, you're looking behind you. So how are we gonna make this work out? People are the point. And, and, and here's the thing, and let's be honest, sometimes we don't see it that way, do we? I mean, we believe and follow Jesus. We believe he died on a cross for our sins and sin, evil, and death have been eliminated because of his sacrifice and his resurrection power three days later is in us through his Holy Spirit and he's coming back for his church. Woo, hallelujah. But man, sometimes people are the problem. Yeah, I was at the lake yesterday with my wife and, and some friends of ours, and we went to one of these uh, outdoor seating restaurants there right on the lake. And man, it was great. We, we came down on the decking there and we were looking for the hostess so we could get sat. And we, we were kind of wandering around looking and, and you know, maybe it's over here. And, and, and finally somebody said, yeah, I think it's over there. And there's this little tiki kind of hut looking thing. And, and we're there and there's some menus there. And we think, well, maybe, yes, maybe. And then finally the hostess comes over and, and she's kind of upset. She's kind of upset with us because we didn't read the sign that says, you know, you know hostess is over here. And, and she thinks we're upset, but we're not. We were just looking for her. Let's go. So she sits us down in this, this seat right by this rancid trash can. From, you know, you can smell last night's fish and chips right there in the trash cans. Oh yeah, it was that bad. And we're sitting there and we're trying to get over it. We're trying not to be the problem. And then somebody at another table lights up a Marlboro Red. I mean, a cowboy killer, come on. And starts blowing it. And so we've got fish and chips and we've got smoke. And finally, we just say, hey, why don't we just move seats? Why don't we get another table? And so without asking, hold up. Without asking, we gather our menus and our silverware and we go a few tables over and we sit down and oh no, dragon lady. She is not happy. She, we have messed with her system. We have ups, upset the seating chart. Don't we know that when they put in our order, they type in the table number? We were table number four and now we're table number seven. That is blasphemy. And she lets us know with her body language and her, her huffing and her puffing and she's gonna blow down our house. But finally, Katie, our waitress shows up and says, it's fine. You're in the hospitality business, but people are problem. You ever felt that way before? 
Have you ever felt on either side of that? You know, you're that person and you've got everything tidied up the way you want and, 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 and guests are coming over and they, and they bring their, their sons, their six and seven year old sons. And what do they do? The sons come over and they wipe their nose and all over the couch and they're jumping on the couch and, and they're chasing the dog and the cat. And, and you think, this was going to be perfect, except for the people, the people who showed up. Sometimes we can transfer that same mentality right into our faith in Christ. If it weren't for people, man, this Jesus thing would be easy. And yet people are the point. We got to understand that. We got to we got to grab a hold of that and we got to remind ourselves of that because man, it's only one season away before we forget that. And we start making our systems and our preferences and our seat and our parking spot. And I always, all of this becomes the point instead of the actual people that Jesus says, I want you to get to a place in your life where you'd would you be willing to lay down your life? And why don't you just start right now by praying for them? Let's start right there. People are the problem. I wanna talk about why they're the problem though, okay? For, for just a second, people are the problem because they require our sacrificial love and compassion. And, and can we be honest? We don't always wanna give that, do we? I mean, the word sacrifice literally means I'm gonna give up something of value, something I value something I wanna keep for the sake of someone else. And, and people, people require that. If we're going to be in relationships with these other humans, they require us, guys, wait for it, to actually love them. <sighs> yes, and they require compassion. They, they require grace. Now, some require a little bit more than others, let's be honest. But all of us, all of us require this. What else? People are the problem because people require our repentance and forgiveness. Listen, you're in, a, you're in a spiritual community that is called the church and Jesus has called you to this house for this season of your life. And it is filled with immature Christians. It's filled with sinners. It's filled with hypocrites. And guess what? You and I are a part of that group. And we rub up against each other and we bump up against each other and we step on each other's toes and we drop the ball and we don't meet expectations and we say we're gonna be there and we're not. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves, guess what? Sinning against each other. And you know what? People require repentance and forgiveness. They require us to go to them and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I did that. I'm sorry that I talked about you behind your back. That, that's wrong and I'm sorry. And, and people require our forgiveness. When they come to us and say, hey, I just, I'm sorry. I've held this grudge against you and I've held, withheld love and even like from you. Will you forgive me? And in that moment, we, we have to make a decision. Are we going to say, I forgive you? I release you of this. Well, guess what? People are the problem because they require that. 
And that sometimes is not what we're ready to give. People are the problem because they require our trust and vulnerability. You see, relationships are built upon these two things, that we have to trust each other. And yet, as imperfect human beings, we break that trust. We don't always meet the expectations. We don't always show up when we say we are. We don't always fill in the blank and we break each other's trust. And that means that we have to keep building back trust with one another. We have to go back and default to those other things, repentance and forgiveness. And oh my goodness, people require me to be vulnerable. They require me to actually say sometimes how I feel. They require me sometimes to tell my story and say, hey, in order for us to have a, a relationship that's built on trust and, and is any semblance of love, I just have to tell you, I'm not in a good place right now. People are the problem because they require trust and vulnerability that oftentimes is so hard to give and oftentimes so hard to gain back from people. Here's the point, and, and, and I want us to look at this problem. It's a problem we have to solve today. People require unlimited amounts of our limited self. And so what happens? We often burn out, and that's where some of you are right now. And I'll talk about that. We lash out, that's where some of you are right now, or we check out. Let's talk about these real quick because I think it's important to get to, to the answer to this. Uh, some of you are burned out. You're just, you're burned out. You, you, for whatever reason, you just, you don't have boundaries with people. You don't know how to say, hey, no. You don't know how to say, hey, goodbye. And as a result, people just come in. And that's, and look, we're people, right? If people don't say, hey, wait, or hey, no, we just come, we just pick up our silverware and our menus and we go to another table. I don't need to ask anybody. I'm just gonna sit right here. And as a result, over the last few seasons of your life, you're burned out and you cannot find a way to love people. You're exhausted by it. Some of you are lashing out right now. And maybe it's not these angry outbursts. Maybe it's not this passive aggressive huffing and puffing. Maybe it's just distancing yourself in a way. Maybe it's cynicism, maybe it's bitterness and it's chilling when you walk in the room or when that person or that group of people walk in the room, everyone can feel that in some way you are lashing out. And this happens in churches. We miss the point. We get into our songs and our systems and our systematic theology and our studies and our Bible and, our, and our, even our exercising of ministry and gifts. And oh, wait a minute. I don't even know that I'm totally burnt out on loving people. I'm totally lashing out in anger and bitterness and cynicism, or I'm checked out. Some of you are tuning in online because you don't wanna be around people right now because you're checked out. You're just totally indifferent now. People can sometimes become the problem. And this happens throughout the New Testament. Jesus is teaching his disciples this, right? Hey, Jesus, there's no food for all these people. Send them home. And Jesus is like, you feed them, feed them. What do we have? Let's feed them. 
because people are the point. Jesus on a cross, forgive them for they know not what they do. People are the point. We were the point for Jesus to come, to live, to die on a cross and to resurrect. And I thank God that I was the point for him to do just that. And you know what he says to us? Now go and do likewise. People are not the problem to our systems and our preferences and our comfort zone. People are the point as to why we sacrifice, why we pour out our lives, why we follow Jesus into his way, truth, and life. First Thessalonians chapter three, turn there. I wanna answer this question. Let's go back to that question, uh, Devin. If people are the point, how do we not burn out? lash out or check out from loving them like Jesus? How do we not be a church that is a resounding gong, a clanging symbol to the Lord? How do we? Well, Paul is writing this church in the city of Thessalonica. He planted this church along with a, a group of guys, Silas, possibly Timothy, he started this church and, and things are, 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 are get, they, they get going and, and all of a sudden persecution starts happening in the city and the, the people who are opposing this church threaten Paul's life. And so he says to the church, hey, I gotta leave town for a little bit so I don't get killed. But you guys, you keep pushing the kingdom of God. You keep bringing the kingdom of God to this city. And I'm gonna pastor you from afar while I also plant some more churches. And so that's exactly what he does. He writes these letters as he pastors them from some other location. And 1 Thessalonians is one of these pastoral letters that he sends. And what he's saying is, hey, you're going through some struggles right now, but I want you to know, Jesus has given you everything to be the church. And oh, by the way, he's coming again. And I say, right here, right now, to Waymaker Church, the same thing. Jesus has given us everything we need to be the church in this moment in time. And Jesus is coming back. And man, we get to be a part of his forever family. But in the meantime, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey my commandments. And as you do this, I will be with you to the end of the age. We got to see it twice today. Two people go all in and all out in believer's baptism. And one person in the first service say, I've decided to follow Jesus. And you know what Jesus says? When you're doing that, I'm right there in the midst because people are not the problem. People are the point. So, yeah, oh, all right, all right. So how do we answer this question? Well, the apostle Paul helps us do this. Look what he says to this church in chapter three, verse 10. Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again. Remember, he's from afar. We may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Supply what is lacking in your faith. How are we gonna do that? We are first going to pray for you night and day day, night and day. What is he talking about here? He's talking about intercessory prayer. 
And this is one of the key things that we have to understand if we're gonna move from a lens that people are the problem, messing up my preferences and my comfort zone and asking so much of me to people are the point. Oh yeah, that's right. That's why Jesus lived, died and rose from the dead. And that's why he's coming back for me because people are the point. How do I then love crazy, strange, extra grace required people in my spiritual family that God has called me to. How do I do that? Well, here's the first thing that Paul teaches us and that is intercessory prayer. We have to pray for people. Something shifts in us when we pray for people. So write this down, people are the point. How do we make people the point? Intercessory prayer transforms our heart and mind to love one another and the nations like Jesus. What is intercessory prayer? It's literally where we follow Jesus' command. Hey, you wanna pray? Here's where I want you to go. Don't just pray for the people you like. Don't just pray for your relatives and your loved ones. Pray for those who despitefully use you and abuse you. Oh yeah, those people seem like a problem to me. Yeah, and pray for them. Oh, and while you're at it, pray for your enemies. People who literally set themselves up to be against you, to thwart your plans, to sabotage your relationships, to talk behind your back, to set traps all around you. Yeah, those people, yeah, those people are a problem. Wait a minute, they're also the point. Pray for them too. Ooh, what happens when a church starts to pray, not just for the things that we wanna pray for, but the things that seem like, and the people that seem like a problem to us, all of a sudden, something shifts in our mind, something shifts in our heart, and we start to see the people who might be the problem, the strange, the crazy, the hypocritical, yes, us too, actually become the point. So here's what I'd like to do right now. Let's all bow our heads right now. Just bow your heads right now. This whole time I've been talking you've been thinking about people in your life who are a problem. Maybe people in your community group, the person who just talks all the time, the person who's just grumpy and negative. They are an energy vampire. The person that when you get in the car after you've served at church are just like, oh Lord, help us. That person. Now I'm gonna go a little bit deeper for some of you. I want you to think about somebody who's really, really, really hard to love. Yes, your ex-wife. Mm-hmm. Got that tender spot right there, didn't I? Your ex-husband. I want you to think, I want you to think about your boss at work who just every Sunday night, you know you're gonna have to wake up tomorrow and you're gonna have to go in. I want you to pray for these people by name right now. Just pray for them. You don't have to pray out loud. Just pray in your heart. You say, Lord, would you... Would you bring favor to them? Start praying that God blesses them. Your stepmom, your dad, you haven't talked to in three years. Call him by name. Lord, help, help this person. Lord, transform my heart day and night, day and night. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray over this assembly right now that you teach us how to dig in 
pray for people who we may see as the problem, but you see as the point at which you sent your son Jesus to die and resurrect from the dead. Help us, Lord, be on your team to love them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody say it with me. Come on, y'all. Amen. Amen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. He says, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. It collapses. What would happen if we just became a church that just prayed for each other? Yes, even the hard people. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. You know what? Next time, before you start to complain about that person or gossip about that person, why don't you just hit your knees and pray for them? Yeah. Before you pick up the phone and say, oh my goodness, how crazy, you know what she said today? Why don't you just hang up the phone and hit your knees and pray for them? Because let me tell you something, something's going to shift in you. And you know what? We go from this we go from this to a city on a hill. I don't know about you, but that's, that's what I, I, I want to be a part of. No matter how much trouble he causes me. People can be a problem, right? But what happens when we start to pray? He goes on. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. He says, his face, that person that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable to me is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died. The face of a forgiven sinner. Woo! Watch out. Watch out. And like I said before, before you and I go to complain about that person, before you and I go to gossip about that person, before we go pick up the phone and say, can you believe what she said today? Can you hit the floor? Lord, help Kelly, help Kevin. You fill in the blank. See what he says, verse 11. He says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Verse 12, he says this, he says, and may the Lord, who? The Lord make you increase and abound in love. Love for what? For more knowledge, for more spiritual activity, for more mysteries, for one another. May the Lord increase and abound in love for one another and for all. For one another. Who's one another? It's the people in this room. It's the people in your community group. It's the people in your serving team. It's the people that you have been chosen and they have been chosen we have been chosen to be a spiritual family and God says these are the people who are the point they're not the problem they're the point they will be the instrument by which I teach you how to love like Jesus can you imagine a bunch of Americans who are taught be individualistic, to seek comfort, to push 
people away who don't think like us or agree like us, whether it's stated officially or not in our culture, instead of getting in the echo chambers of people who we like and sound like us and vote like us and watch the same news as us. Instead, we start praying for everyone. And oh, by the way, the people in our spiritual family who are different than us, who are strange and maybe even intolerable to our flesh. And instead, when we start to pray, he says, the Lord Jesus will increase and abound your love for one another. And he doesn't stop there. And for all, literally for the nations. Next. So that he may establish your hearts. What does that mean? To establish our hearts. To establish our hearts means that he begins to shape and expand and set in place a new kind of heart. That was the whole point. And we talked about it last week, that transformation is the expectation. Jesus, the more that we turn ourselves over to his authority and rule in our life, not just his salvation, but his leadership in our life is going to ruin our life in all the best ways. He will all of a sudden have us loving people and praying for people. I saw this t-shirt the other day. It says, it's hard to throw stones when you're washing feet. Man, what if we got a hold of that? How in the world are we gonna get a hold of that? It's not more sermons and songs. It's not more activity. That's obnoxious if we don't love. How do we love? We intercede for people. We pray for them. Even the ones who despitefully use and abuse us, even our enemies, even the ones we don't agree with. So that what? He may establish our hearts. Look at this. Only the power of God's spirit multiplies our love for one another and the nations. So he says, okay, let's work this out practically. If you turn the page in your physical Bible, to page or chapter five of Thessalonians. He says, now that I've talked about how your heart changes and shifts, let's look at what it's going to work out practically to, to look like. He says, verse 11, chapter five, he says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. He says, keep doing that. Verse 14, he says this, he says, and we urge you brothers and sisters, Warn those who are idle and disruptive. So he says, on one hand, encourage and build each other up. On the other hand, he says, warn or correct each other. Wait a minute. How is this expanding, multiplying love of Jesus, both encouragement and correction? It's grace and truth. Write this down. People are the point. Listen, listen. Love is not true in relationships without both encouragement and correction. Encouragement and correction. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about prophets and pastors. Prophets and pastors. Pastors encourage us, they shepherd us. Yay, keep going. 
Jesus has given you everything you need to be who you need to be and go where you need to go. And prophets are like, stop it. You're a resounding gong. Encouragement and correction. Love is both. Listen, at this church, we do both. We do both. Now, you've been to a church that only corrected you. And you were always being corrected. Stop. Cut that hair. Right? What are you going to do with that tattoo? Okay? And we could keep going. Correcting you. Correcting you. Correcting you and your behavior. And managing your behavior. And, 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 and what happened? Maybe some of you came to a church that was just always encouraging you. Don't worry. Be happy. You're great. You're wonderful. Just keep it up. And then you blew up your life. What's more important? Lean in. Here we go. What's more important? Encouragement or correction? Here we go. Here we go. Yes. Yes. Now, I realize some of you are, are, it's easier for you to correct. So as you grow in the faith, the Lord is going to help you encourage more. And so before you go to correct someone, why don't you spend 10 times the amount encouraging them. Just encourage them. Before you write that email to correct, before you make that phone call to correct, before you type out that text to correct, what if you spent 10 times more energy encouraging? And that's how you, that's, you expand your love, right? For those of you who encourage and it's really difficult for you to correct, okay, this is your growth area. Encourage, keep encouraging, and encourage 10 times more. But when you get to the 11th time, go, you know what? I love you enough to say, maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you should change this thing in your life. Maybe this influence that's going on is not helping you. In fact, it's hurting you. Here's what I want to say. Everybody likes encouragement. Nobody's ever died from too much encouragement. And few of us really like correction. And here's the deal. If you really love me and you really love each other, we're going to do both. But sometimes, sometimes people don't want to hear it. But it doesn't mean you don't love them anyway. Next. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Be patient with everyone. He keeps going. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. What happens? We get our feelings hurt. We get our feelings hurt. This church is going to hurt your feelings. This church is going to not meet your expectations. People who you are counting on, who are limited, will not meet your unlimited needs, nor mine. They will eventually say, no, I can't do it. And there is something in us, in our flesh, that wants to retaliate or get back at that person, to push them away or to say what we want to say to them. And what Paul is saying is, make sure nobody does this. 
Don't be a church that's constantly fighting back on each other, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else, each other and everyone else. People of the point, write this down. Here we go, here we go. If you're, if you're, if you're taking notes. To love people builds up hope, pours out help, and fights for health within Jesus' community. I'm gonna say that again. To love people, because guys, that's the point. Otherwise, this is what we are. To love people. The Apostle Paul says to this church, we have to build up hope in each other. And the whole letter is about, hey, I know you guys are struggling. You have what it takes and Jesus is coming back and get ready. You have that hope, you have that hope. And we need to give that to one another. We need to build up hope. We need to encourage each other. Jesus is with you. Jesus is changing you. Jesus is making a difference in your life and you're making a difference in my life. Build each other up in hope. Jesus is coming back. And it, man, it's never been about performance or striving. It's always about the blood. Let's encourage each other in that. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Yes. Pour out help. Hey, I just got to get vulnerable here for a second. I'm really struggling right now. I need help. And you know what? I have unlimited needs as a human being, unlimited. And so this church alone, one person, not to mention 500 alone cannot meet my unlimited. But you know what? We can meet some, we can meet some of them in the name of Jesus. And with the strength and the love of Jesus, we can meet some of them. We pour out help and then we fight for health. And this is where it gets really, really difficult is fighting for health. Because everything that we just talked about before, and that's getting in the room and repenting and offering forgiveness. Man, that's the hard work, isn't it? That's where we, we give up our pride we say, man, I wronged you, I'm sorry. I got my feelings hurt. I got in my feelings. I got into my preferences. You messed with my systems. You moved tables. And it just got me all upset. And instead of just coming to you, I pushed you away. I lashed out, I checked out. I'm sorry. Hey, I forgive you. I forgive you. We fight for health. We fight for health. And that's what it means. It's a fight because the enemy wants us to be suspicious and cynical and divided against each other. But love, loving people, which is the point of this whole thing, requires us to build up hope to pour out help and to fight for health in one another's life. And I'm gonna tell you something. If we will, as a church, lock in and lock arms with that, 
I believe Jesus will use this house to begin a wave of revival in our times. And I can't wait to be a part of that. I don't know about you. So with that said, I wanna show you a story about a woman who her and her husband were really checked out and burned out. And God used this community to shift some things in her life and ultimately her house. And then after that, Tyler's gonna come up and tell us ways that we can get involved. Hi, my name is Olivia Smith. I have been coming to Waymaker since the fall of 2022. When I started coming to Waymaker with my husband and our two young kids, we have been pretty much out of church for the last three years after having our daughter in December of 2019 and then through the pandemic and trying to figure out where we wanted to be. So we started coming here and I was in a very bad headspace. I had been through a lot of postpartum anxiety and depression over the last three and a half years. And that led me to a place of really questioning God and doubting God and being really, really angry with God. I wanted to want to follow Jesus, but I just couldn't. I had so many walls up around my heart. I had given up praying pretty much altogether. Throughout my postpartum journey, I just felt like I prayed constantly and asked God for help so many times and I felt really abandoned. There was such a hardness and distance in my heart that I most days couldn't even pick up my Bible so I saw that the sisterhood was beginning. They were going to be studying, praying through the Psalms. And that kind of felt like a sign because prayer was my big hinge point. I decided to sign up. I walked in and knew no one and <laughs> sat down at this table of seemingly random women, which ended up to be such a God thing. Each week we would go through a different topic in the Psalms and how to pray through that. For the first couple of weeks, I was still personally really struggling. And so it was hard for me to come into that space and like really glean something from it. But when I started the first week, I thought to myself, like, I can't fluff this. Like, I'm done pretending that I have it together, anything like that. It's like, I just have to put it all out there. This is where I'm at and it's not good. And I want to be in a better place and I don't know how to get there. So the women at my table were really, really encouraging. And um, one of the other women at my table encouraged me to share with the whole group. I was pretty nervous, but it really felt like that was the Holy Spirit, like using her to encourage me to speak. So I just shared my whole spiel of everything. It was probably the most influential, like aside from coming to Christ, spiritual moment I've ever had. Going into this group, I think I had it in my head that it would take 
months, even years to get to a place of like deep, authentic relationship with other people before any like real life change could happen. I was like willing to go deep, but I didn't expect anything to come of that. It was still like, I knew these people, but I didn't really like know them, know them, you know? It really shocked me for them to show such support and kindness to me. And also for me to experience such life change from it. I didn't know a lot about like spiritual healing before, but I really believe that like I was healed that day. It just shifted everything. And there are still really hard days, <laughs> but I think my undercurrent now is a lot more hopeful and excited to learn from God and be a community and it has really changed my life. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thank you to those who give to Waymaker Church. It is because of you that our ministry is possible. Visit waymaker.church to give now. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe. You can also share it with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Now go make a way.